Hello there. Today, on this episode of Star Wars Shatterpoint edition of the Gamers Guild, we will be going over a Adepticon Q&A review. My name is Sean, and welcome to the Gamers Guild. Welcome back. So, today I have Matthew, or Shadow Marvel as everybody knows him. Matthew, Hello. how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Good, good. I'm uh, doing pretty well myself. We also have one absolute Matt with us as well. And how are you? I'm great. Uh, just got back from Adepticon uh, last week, and I've avoided the COVID as some of our uh, fellow mates did not succeed that pass. Or that it's check. It's yeah. the power of so the I hope they're all feeling better. <laughs> uh, I, I got it last year, so I mean, I, I got it last year in the summer, so I can't say I've completely avoided it, so. Oh, okay. It's just me then. Never mind. <laughs> ah. Well, that is definitely unfortunate for our uh, fellow cast members, but um, you know, the show must go on, as they say. Um, so today I have you both here. Um, we want to really go over just how... Uh, the gameplay really felt like that. I have a list of questions for the both of you. I know um, one absolute. You were actually at Adepticon, but Matthew, you've did like a, a kind of like a mock game yourself. Is that correct? Yeah. So with all the stuff that we saw from Adepticon and all the videos and talking to people, kind of put together sort of this slapdash, taking some forty millimeter models, fifty millimeter models, some Legion terrain, then. Uh, throwing together some of the, you know, printing out the cards and such, and then like throwing the, uh, some MCP assets that we have, uh, and just did a demo, you know, of our own, like it's a little proxy game to, with the rules that we know. So obviously it's not a hundred percent, you know, there's probably some things we got wrong, but, uh, more or less, we just tried to play a game and see how it felt. Nice. So you were essentially able to kind of like mock uh, the Adepticon experience of the, um demos that they provided with in a, in a way yeah and we even played with the, the standard team loadouts that they were using there just in case there's any funkiness with the squad building nice and um also just to make, make aware for you one absolute um the demo was definitely scripted uh, as it seems from the various youtube videos we've uh, watched going over is that correct yes that was uh, i mean they had to have a way to get you know four demos going at one time. It only lasts like 25, 30 minutes and they needed to get as many of those in as they could. So it was definitely scripted. It was more of a walkthrough, but it definitely uh, felt good to roll the dice and uh, learn some other stuff that we haven't seen on the transmissions yet. Gotcha. It was so still, it was still good. Yeah. Um, so I actually have two questions for you before we get really roll into like kind of the meat and potatoes of this Q and a, uh, how busy was that playtest area? Oh, it was slammed all day every day so you had to get an in-person ticket uh right when the vendor hall opened so the vendor hall didn't open until 10 uh that time and they were usually out of tickets by like 10 15 10 20 oh wow that's like just for the whole day right yeah yeah that's for the whole day for all their time slots they did have a standby like line that you could stand in like at every 30 minute mark they wouldn't let you stand there all day because they knew that like you know most people are going to come back for their demos for their time slot 
but just in case somebody didn't show up so that you could uh, still get a demo, they had like a waiting line like every half hour. So like if they was if the person with the ticket wasn't there by five after the demo was supposed to start, then they pulled somebody from that standby line. Gotcha. Okay. Another question too, as well, uh, for just being there in person, how were the models? I know we kind of reviewed um, like from what they've leaked out and there was like definitely some like Darth Maul's like Saber was a little bit bent. It looked like in some of the photos. Um, what about like that in person? How did the models look? The models looked amazing. Uh, going back through my pictures, I don't really notice any bent sabers, um, either in the display case or at my demo table that I was at, because I actually was on the dark side uh, demo, because your ticket was good for a half of the table. So you could actually bring some of your friends uh, so they could actually hear the demo too, if you wanted to, so it covered up to your half of the table. Gotcha. I think it was more in the, the 3D spin uh, picture they revealed. And you could definitely see that it had one side of his saber had like a little bit of a bend to it. Yeah, that could have been just the way they was captioned the, the image um, or splicing it together to do that 3D thing possibly. But all the ones I saw in person and up close, they they didn't appear bent. That's good. That's good. Um, it also could have been an early model rendition of like that was potentially like more resin than their usual plastic they used to, I guess. So, all right, let's go ahead and go into this. Um, so the learning curve was a bit moderate for me from like the viewer's perspective watching the videos. Um, was the game kind of quick to pick up on in person um, or did it take a couple turns to kind of really understand what was going on? Um, coming from a wargaming background, I don't think anybody should have a real problem picking it up. It seems pretty intuitive because um, you get to do two actions with that unit that activates and you can't do the same action twice. So, um, ah, okay, okay. So that was something that was uh, iterated. Uh, Matthew, in your mock game, how did you feel just kind of like piecing it together and playing that? Uh, I felt the same way as Matt. Uh, you know, I've played Marvel Crisis Protocol before this and then X Wing before that, and that's pretty much my wargaming experience. So I kind of had the same level of learning curve, which the biggest learning curve is just remembering what all your models do you know and that's you know, there's half the a battle sometimes <laughs> yeah exactly and there's a lot of stuff to to reference especially when you're just playing it like once or twice and you're just looking at it because you have all the abilities that they could possibly do and then every time you roll dice you're referencing a chart and everyone's also referencing the chart of well how, what do what do my um uh what do they call it the expertise how does that change my dice and then once i get that settled uh, what does my attack thing do, you know, my attack tree do? So, but that wasn't necessarily, I wouldn't call that necessarily a learning curve. I would just call that more of a, you know, just getting used to and familiarizing yourself with all the little nuggets of your team and game. That is fair. Okay. Um, I guess going on from that then, uh, mission setup. It seemed really interesting. I liked the idea that you set up the nine points that make that like grid to start with and then they kind of activate per the phases and that shows you like which ones you're activating um how did the general setup and the phase system feel matt you might be able to answer that better well for me yeah because we went yeah we actually went farther than than just the setup i mean the 
I, I'm not sure what they're going to do beyond this because we only know the one mission and they've talked about how there will be alternate missions, missions and I'm not even 100% positive that they all work on that nine-point grid or if there is changes. I certainly hope they stay on the nine-point grid because I think it was very easy. It's easy for table setup and it's just easy for everything. Um, I did feel that there was a very interesting dynamic that went from the first struggle to the second struggle because the first struggle, everyone knows what's going to happen, and we're just playing it out. But then when we won the first struggle, the losing player chooses the orientation of the mission points on the second struggle. And that um, was very interesting because they're seeing where everyone's on the board. And they kind of had to decide based on that priority what they think they can win. But then you toss in the added wrinkle of the priority uh, which 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 token, which objective token gives you two VPs instead of one P- VPs, and that can really mess with the entire equation that you're kind of setting yourself up for in general. Uh, I I do think that that is that that seems on the surface a simple decision to make, but I think that over time we will find that there's a lot of uh, subtlety in trying to figure out which which you want, which side you want, and I think that'll actually help with the replayability. Because it'll be different every time you play. You'll have different models on different parts of the board, uh, contesting different things, and the decision isn't always going to be a, a straight one to one every time. And I think that will be a v- very interesting. No, absolutely. Uh, what about you, on Absolute? Do you kind of feel like the same way, like, or at least from what you saw? I know you had a little bit more of just a initial reaction over, like, actually mimicking a whole playthrough. Yeah, so I think, uh, like Matt said, uh, having if if it does stay with those nine, you know, grid points for every scenario, then setup's going to be a lot easier than uh, that we're used to with other games because uh, you know because eventually you're just going to have like that muscle memory, like all right, this one goes here and there, and be able to set it up a lot quicker, and then. But we don't. You know, we didn't get to do that uh, second part, like uh, phase two that Matt was talking about, where you get to decide the who's behind gets to decide which is the active mission that turn, uh, or that round for that struggle, because uh, the scripted demo is basically only for uh, the first one. Yeah, well, I will say from like a TO standpoint, it definitely looks like a breath of fresh air, like being able to <laughs> have those tokens set up at every table and just ready yeah. to rock and roll and people just bring their face cards and go. That looks like a TO's dream. I mean, let's be honest, yeah. it's never going to change that way, because even if it's that way to start, like eventually something's going to be broken and then. Uh, and then AMG is going to go in and release a new mission thing. And now we're going to have like, you know, K shapes and, you know, Y shapes and W shapes. <laughs> yeah. Just let me like live my dream for at least like a good year. Right. <laughs> you'll get it for a year. <laughs> yeah. You'll, you'll probably get it for a year. Okay. Thank, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate I, it. I, I will say like, just to give a little like context to it, you know, the game that I played, we had, he had my opponent, I won the first struggle and my opponent had a lot of his uh, heavy mandos on one side, and I had my mandos on the other side. But he had his his uh, Sith uh, on, or the bad guy Jedi. I don't know what they're actually Sith in this at this point. But Sith, Sith, they, good. Sith, yeah, Sith they adjacent. had their Sith adjacent. Uh, their red lightsabers. He had his red lightsabers. 
in the mid so that he can kind of pivot either way. And he went with going towards where my Mandos were instead of where his Mandos were because my Anakin at that point hadn't was like on the precipice of activating and was right where that was. So he felt that if he brought the objectives over to where his Mandos were, my Anakin was going to activate and then just slice up his Mandos and take all the all of the points. And that ended up being, even though it worked and that he completely neutralized Anakin's effectiveness in the entire game, it ended up not working because I ended up just being able to use the Mandos to just score points out. Very interesting. Okay. I kind of like that idea, though. I mean, it adds to me or gives like very like dynamic gameplay i like the the thought process of um like the activations and just like trying to like scope who hasn't gone yet before the reshuffle um makes it really really interesting i with with that we can actually go ahead and pivot into like the next uh question which actually has a bit more of the scoring um the struggle tracker is very intriguing uh intriguing for potentially like fast gameplay um but i've heard conflicting opinions from just community on how fast gameplay actually is um with the momentum mechanic um it would seem it would hasten the process but how does it actually come off um do you think it's going to be quick do you think the games will only last like an hour to hour and a half or do you think it might potentially be shorter or longer i think it'll be along the hour hour and a half lines i mean the momentum uh, mechanic definitely quickens the struggle, because um, if you if the momentum tracker ends in exactly the middle of any turn, you add momentum keep on both sides, so shorten it for both people. <laughs> and then if it ends up on your opponent's side, you still have a way to. I think you get one on your side, so you have to go less to travel on your side of the board. And I think there's other ways that you can gain momentum as well other effects right i know you gain momentum from like wounding a target so like that's where like a potential like a an attrition based team could like have some benefit there um what about you matthew what do you what do you think i'm not entirely certain uh because our game was three hours but i don't know if that was three hours because you know we were still learning how to do all the pieces and we only went through two struggles because uh, spoiler to that game that you'll never see. Uh, I won both the struggles in that game, and uh, the second struggle went actually pretty quickly. I feel like the first struggle takes the longest because I just think the nature of how the game works and having all these pieces kind of made things stretch out longer. But then once you get towards the second struggle, the momentum moves a little faster because pieces are more likely to get wounded. But, um, I did like the momentum mechanic because I felt like it added a certain level of tension and it never really felt like I was winning, even though I ended up winning, but I felt that tension on me that it could swing at any point. But at the same time, I don't, I think the game will probably end up being about the same length as like a Marvel crisis protocol game. I think that there's enough decision trees in this game, even with the random uh, activation mechanic that the game could drag out a little bit, you know, at a, at a higher competitive level where people are overly analyzing their decision points. But I do think that the game could also go quickly. Like I've played Marvel Crisis Protocol games that have lasted like fifty minutes, so you know that could that could also happen too. 
Right. I do love the fact that the game has like its own built-in like two out of three system. Um, that is very intriguing to me. Uh, I know some people kind of complain here and there about how like with our normal tabletop games, you know, anything from like MCP to Legion to 40K, it's, just, it's a one and done um, where this game already has like this built-in like two out of three mechanic um, that may like be a better view for some other people to join like try a game like this that may have an issue with that kind of thing with other games yeah it's yeah, really because you lose one of them all right go ahead matt no go ahead oh all right um i was gonna say like yeah just because you lose that like one of the struggles doesn't mean you're out of this and the way that phase two flips up it can really put it in your favor and catapult you to winning it looks it seems like i, I do think that if you I, with the core box, you know, with the characters we know in the core box, it, it, attrition is a very hard game to play. But it'll be interesting to see as you know more models come out and more things happen, and maybe even more levels of dice fixing. Who knows if that is in the pipeline? But right now, to me, it felt like because of the struggles, like losing that first struggle could be really devastating unless you're really set up properly to win uh, the other struggle because it could really snowball on you at that point. But if we could set up a way that makes attrition much more viable, uh, then it's just like letting that first struggle kind of just go its way and just delayed as long as you can while wounding models could be very helpful so that on the back end of the two and the three struggles that you can then remove activations from them so that they, so that, so that you can start scoring out those other struggles a lot easier it does also, obviously, from a like a logistical tournament perspective, it creates that other tension for the attrition player because they they, they need to then win that second struggle uh, as soon as possible so the time doesn't run out. And then I don't know how tiebreakers will work when you're on the third struggle. And then you got to make sure you have your advantage and the momentum there. So you really falling behind on that sec that first struggle could really put you behind the eight ball. Yeah, I think once um, like people start knowing like what the other phases are and like what they're dealing with as the game grows, like, that product actually comes out and you're able to play them and like understanding like okay, I know like this phase is, is the potential of like one of these phases flipping. I know these are the setup points. So if you see yourself losing that first struggle, instead using your activations to spread out and try to cover ground to mitigate like into the next struggle, I think it would it creates very interesting counterplay. Um, but I do see that like that first struggle is very important and it isn't necessarily like shuts off like, Oh, I won the first struggle. Therefore I'm just going to win, but it definitely gives you a leg up. So going from there, um, let's go into the next question. Um, did the activation system seem a bit too random? Um, or does the reserve mechanic balance that out? Matt will probably have a better understanding of this part than myself since mine was more scripted but just from watching how they stacked the deck uh for the demo and like we re reserved anakin it showed they showed us it cost a force to that cost is one force point to reserve that card so they didn't want to activate him first just to get him out there in no man's land um i i, I don't think it's gonna I mean, even though it's random, I don't think it's going to be that random because you got you can reserve one, you have your shatter point card to activate somebody that you want to of your choice, 
I mean, it doesn't it doesn't feel like it'll feel that bad. Uh, unlike like when I was trying out Legion for the first time, like didn't get to activate anything I wanted to at the right time. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's interesting. It's like because the Legion is the big comparison here when it comes to like the random activations. Um, the fact that you do not have as many units as like a Legion game, um, even though that one kind of stacks like types of units with their uh, activations, um, you still you have one of your cards as a wild card that's going to let you do any of them, and with the reserve mechanic on top of that, I don't think it's to me personally from like just viewing all of this doesn't seem it's going to be that bad of a system to really navigate around. Um, Matthew, what did you feel like with your uh, uh, practice game that you did? Uh, off my limited sample size, I have to say I actually really love this reserve mechanic. I was really hesitant about it because I played a little bit of Legion, and that was something I didn't like about it. But what, having played a lot of bit of, of Marvel Crisis Protocol since playing Legion, one thing I really enjoy about the reserve system and the random activation system is that it really shuts off this this round one play that kind of happens a lot with Marvel Crisis Protocol, where you just kind of set up, well, you're going to do this thing, and then Mystique does her thing, and then Malekith goes and destroys the world, and all this other is kind of like scripted set up what, how you're going to play your game, and that can't really happen, even with the control that you do have off the activations. Uh, you know, obviously, I think you could get some bad RNG even with those uh, those those factors in there, and that could present some bad situations. I know that when I played my game, the my opponent ended up having not the most optimal cards at the top of his second st- stack of cards. His first stack was pretty good, but the second stack wasn't so good. And then with me, I reshuffled my deck, and then I, I put out the clone troopers, and I said, I don't want those people. They can't do anything right now. So it's like the one thing I really want is Ahsoka because she's standing right on a point and she could just eliminate these droids and then completely put me in an advantage because she would have gotten two VPs. And then I, I paid the force, put the the clones into reserve, and then I flipped the card and it was Ahsoka. And I said, this is this is in front of a live, <laughs> live audience. <laughs> I'm not cheating, but it was perfect. I mean, that, but if it flipped over and it was the Clan Kree's Mandos, it would have been a completely different game. I don't know if I would have even won the game. Who knows? Yeah, it's a nice mechanic, I think, when it comes to mitigating, like you mentioned, the MCP turn one plays. Um, it is almost like that, you know, AMG kind of potentially saw from there, not mistakes, I don't want to say, but like they saw maybe that mechanic in MCP and they're like, well, what can we do to mitigate these just blowout plays that are, that are happening um, and so they found this mechanic to just like always like keep the action rolling, but doesn't make it to where you're always getting the optimal decision that you want. Um, it's very, very intriguing. You cannot plan a grab and, and run uh, play if you cannot guarantee that that, play, <laughs> that model is going to be the one who get, activates. Right, right. That's the truth. You also right, don't then. score round one or turn one, so that helps too. That is correct. Yes. All right. So from here, we uh, we're going to go on to like the importance of like a char- the character feel. Um, 
when you're playing these characters in this game, like I know that's going to be a very important aspect for players uh, coming into it. You know, it's Star Wars; these characters are iconic. You know, they should have a certain feel for what they. You know, we've seen in all of the media we've seen them in kind of growing up. Um, did these characters in the demo feel flavorful? Uh, let's go one absolute. How about you? Um. Yes. I mean, I mine were scripted, so. Um, since I was playing the dark side of the table at, at the demo, um, I went second cause I let the light side go first. Um, but uh, the only one I actually got to activate was Kalani. He was uh, pretty cool. Um, I liked, there was a nice touch that they give you on their, uh, their order card, uh, give you a reminder of they have like, Hey, he's got a activation or ability at the start of his turn that must go off. So that's actually on his uh his card as well to remind you when you flip it over. Uh, but yeah, he felt just like like a droid commander because like his little ability, like I sent his battle droids before him, so he didn't have to like move up and just get you know totally destroyed. And then uh, then Anakin, whenever uh he got act- to activate on the other side of the demo, like he just came up and totally like one shot did my Kalani on his took 10 health away right away. So it felt Oof. just like Anakin. <laughs> that is I, I pretty want, wild. I wanted that Anakin experience. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. He's uh in most of the um, YouTube demos I've seen. Anakin has been a powerhouse. Um, how was your experience with that? Uh, Matthew was he kind of done the same on that yours or what did he kind of hit like a wet noodle? Uh, he just didn't do anything. Uh, what happened with my Anakin, which is no fault of the model, is just that uh, the points got moved to the other side of the board. So Anakin basically had to do a, a force jump, a move, and then a, a hunker or whatever it's called, the cover option, so that he could get the movement to get to a point so he can actually score me a VP. Because otherwise he could just move up and kill things, but those things weren't really playing to the crisis at the point or the sorry the scenario at this point uh so he didn't do anything and then the next activation he didn't get to do another real activation because Asajj rolled up and just force pushed him into no man's land so it was kind of useless um so he didn't do anything in my entire game however uh the other characters were really good because they flavorful the clone the clone troopers you know dropped and died very quickly so they felt like cannon fodder and the mandos felt really engaging and uh, I think they're probably the standouts from the box to be perfectly honest. Uh, Bo Katan was so maneuverable and, and fun. Ahsoka was really really enjoyable with her being able to move and she was just slicing up the battle droids the B one battle droids so easily uh, and setting up a lot of defensive measures so that everyone else attacking her could keep her alive just long enough like it just felt it felt like the characters themselves uh from the ones that i played and asajj i didn't play her but when she just she just shows up and she just she doesn't delete models but she just makes models not valuable anymore she just stacks condition after condition on them and that felt like very much to the character Nice. I that's actually the two out of the core box I'm wanting to jam was Asajj and uh, Ahsoka. I think that's, um, I think that's the meta. I mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> this it's is funny obviously I, I don't even know the rules yet, but I think that's the meta. 
<laughs> yeah, I said that like in the, one of our previous pods, like that was like the combo I wanted to run. It just so happens it's like potential like meta picks. That, <laughs> that's hilarious. They're so good. They're so good, and they provide they they would provide a really great balanced squad of Asajj's. Uh, you know, telling people do not go here because you will be completely removed from effectiveness and Ahsoka's ability to just move all over the board and 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 if you're able to get the mandos on both of them both sides you can play a really good attrition and control team it's really i think it'll be really good nice all right uh going on to the next thing speaking of like some of the abilities that were mentioned in that past question uh, force points um obviously a very crucial resource for abilities and the reserve command uh, mechanic um did the amount that you get and you know with a reset system being with the reshuffle uh how did that feel did that feel okay did it seem a little low um uh, absolute we'll go ahead and start with you um they feel okay from the the walkthrough demo um didn't feel like it was too little or too much um i mean reserving cards it definitely is gonna cost you um but you got to be strategic about that because sure. Most of your powers cost one to two force power. It looks like. And I think some of them have abilities where they can activate it for free through their combat tree. But I, I, it seems like a right amount, especially when you, you know, get through your deck again, get them, get them back to use again. So, cause they're not using force powers, you know, like you watching all the movies, they're not using them all the time, especially during battle. So I mean, it feels like just the right amount for my limited uh, playthrough gotcha. walkthrough. Okay, I gotcha. And what about you, Matthew, and your uh, your uh, makeshift demo you did? Yeah, I feel about the same. Uh, you know, it's a little too 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 soon to tell, but if you get too much force, then it, it you know everyone's just doing all kinds of things all the time. Uh, so it, having a limited amount of force presents decisions, which decisions are fun. Uh, just being able to do everything whenever you want. You could just play your own version of the game with an unlimited force if you want that way. But I think decisions make the game more fun. So having to decide, you know, there was a point in my game where I had to decide if I wanted to spend two force to have the Clan Kree's Mandos do their jetpack because they were they were wounded. And that's a lot of force. Two force is a lot of force. But I also knew at that moment it would score me three victory points. And I felt right. two force was worth three victory points. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that's good to hear. Um, moving on from that, the terrain. Um, it looked intuitive enough. Um, with the height measurement and the climb snapping, um, was that easy to catch on to? Yeah, it was. Um, one thing I learned from talking to some of the AMG people, they're like, do not use like any like stairs that are like lengthy. Because like most of them are like ladders, so you you know, just move maybe like an inch or two, uh, climbing up that ladder. Because you, as long as you end within one, you get to automatically advance up the ladder if you want, and then you place within a range one of that ladder. So if you have a long staircase, it's gonna pop you up a long, <laughs> a long distance away. So that's oh, one yeah. thing. To, one thing to think about when you're making terrain for this potentially. That's good to keep in mind. Um, yeah, actually thinking about that, the fact of how that works of just like, oh, if you start here, you're going to snap all the way over. Next thing you're going like an additional four inches over because you're just like, oh, well, I snap at the bottom of the staircase and now I'm way over here. That can definitely give you a leg up. 
um, Matthew, was that pretty easy to catch up on too from just what you saw um, and mimicked? Yeah, I don't really have too much of a strong opinion about the train at this point. It's a little hard to really grasp it. I'm, I'm interested to see how it works from a, a logistical standpoint. I've kind of had this... When they, when they showed in the demo how to determine whether something is something that you can climb onto, whether it's like the range two template, and it made me it like scream to me like this uh, feel of like proprietary terrain. Like we made our terrain perfectly to fit this concept of like the range two template that we have. So you know if you use our terrain that it'll work properly. But not everyone's going to use their terrain, and not everyone's going to spend all the money on buying all their terrain. Sometimes, you know, a lot of wargaming shops have a lot of terrain already. People already own their own terrain, and they want to potentially use that terrain. But that terrain might not necessarily be range two in height because of whatever reasons. And that could create, you know, casually, it's not a big deal because you could just decide between you and your opponent that this is something that we can climb on because it should be even though it's slightly above range two but when you get to a tournament like a game shop tournament i don't know how they handle that you know it's not as simple it is both simple simpler than mcp but also not as simple as mcp just saying here's the numbers this is what the size of the train is and that determines what you do but it's simpler because not every, you don't have to worry about all the different sizes but at the same time if you don't have the terrain that fits to that that, that specification that it could cause confusion i'm I'm interested to see how it plays out yeah you and me both um i think it's fine to have a couple pieces here and there that just don't quite normally accommodate maybe something you can't not stand on like some sort of like mountainous pillar or something like that but like you definitely don't want a terrain like with a game using terrain as, as a, an important feature you don't want all your terrain to be stuff like that to accommodate for how these terrain rules work yeah the terrain rules are very in, integral into the scoring like what's where you are on the terrain affects how well you score on a point you know it affects cover it affects it affects a lot of things so um it's it's something to to note it could dramatically affect a game whether or not someone could easily hop onto a, a onto a piece or whether or not they can't hop into a place and they got to go to a ladder, you know, like it could really affect your decisions. Right. Um, with that, like a little side note for the terrain stuff, I noticed that in a lot of the demos, they were letting base sizes overhang. Um, is that something that's actually allowed in the rules or was that stated? I don't know if uh, at one absolutely, if you were able to ask that question. That didn't come up in mind, so I didn't think about asking it. <laughs> Ah, so I, dropped, gotcha. I dropped the ball on that one. So nah, it's okay. Yeah, I saw just a couple of the demos. They were letting, like, I mean, World Schick's, um video that he did from the AMG channel, there was, like, I think two separate scenarios where he, like, let the mo the model overhang off of the terrain um, silhouette. And I was just like, that's not allowed in MCP. What's very, going on here? Very, very obvious. He was, like, not even, like, the first time you were kind of like, oh, does he just make a mistake? And then, uh, you know, he just ha he's just being sloppy because he just doesn't, you know, he's rushing through it, but then like the second time, it was kind of like, all right, it was very clear, <laughs> it was very clear. right? It's the one on the crates, right? Yeah, Where he exactly. just like puts there's like one crate to put the thing on, and he just sits it right on top. I'm like, okay, obviously, all right, yeah. I think you can actually do this. <laughs> Something's going on here. We'll see what happens when the rules come out. Right. Um, all right. Next one. Um, obviously, speaking of MCP, I know this game is not that. Um, and with that, 
in this game, we have keywords. It seemed to be a very welcome addition to the game, at least in my opinion. Um, being able to tie keywords with abilities. Um, how does that rule come off to both of you? Um, Matthew, let's start with you. Uh, I like it because uh, I'm I'm of the I'm in the camp, though it seems like the minority, but I'm in the camp that I don't want to play a game where people are playing Yoda Palpatine because it's meta. And especially if they want to play like Yoda, like Galactic Republic Yoda and then Galactic Empire Palpatine. And but that's the meta because it works. Uh, so I like the idea that the synergies make a difference in terms of these keywords. Um, I will note that something that I thought was interesting was if you look at somebody like Ahsoka or specifically Ahsoka Jedi no more, uh, she doesn't really have a lot of synergies on her card. Uh, even though she herself has tags that will affect other people's synergies, she herself is just kind of like somebody dazes or wounds, then you just go and do your thing. It's not like if a Galactic Republic or dazes, then you go. So it's going to be interesting to see these that I think some characters like Ahsoka will pop up as easy to swap in to mix squads. And I hope that they make that very specific in their design that characters like Ahsoka can kind of switch because she has that grayness to her. But then characters like a Yoda or a Palp or a Vader are characters that like very clearly they're, they work with a, a set of keywords. Right. I think uh, another example you're talking about, I want to say Lord Maul, if I remember his card correctly, he's kind of the same way. Like he doesn't really have any like keyword mechanics. He kind of just works within his own kit. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see that dynamic between uh, certain characters to others um one absolute what about you what do you think about this uh i like the keyword in inclusion because it makes you build more thematic lists um because even though like you know in mcp i still like in my brotherhood roster my like usually eight of my 10 characters are still brotherhood related and usually with when i play guardians as well it's, it's about the same normally so i mean i try to stay thematic more than you know what's all you know the most popular going tactics at the time um so i do like that so it allows you to build more thematic and uh synergistic lists yeah it's definitely appealing from that standpoint of just like staying with the thematics of your characters um and some people i know that play games like this are just really big into just like great synergies uh amongst their units all right uh next we have like stance cards um stance cards look like the real honest like meat and potatoes of a unit uh would you guys say that's the case uh matthew we'll start with you I think that the stance cards are going to present a lot of decision-making, uh, which will pr probably be one of the biggest things that draws out. And it's only the primaries, or at least the primaries that are in the core box that have flipping on the stance cards. Uh, and I never actually flipped either of my stances, but my opponent was always sitting and trying to decide what stance worked. Uh, and it was very... It was a very important mechanic because on some some sides it's like pure damage, and some sides it's like okay conditions, and some sides are just healing. So knowing which one you have, and the fact that you can only do it once per turn, you know, once in your activation, even if you can like attack and then flip after that, it can really affect your decision making. 
I need more time with it to really know how influential they are or if like if it ends up feeling like one stance is just better than the other stance. Obviously, the stance cards for the secondaries and the supports don't really carry any decision weight because they they just exist. They're just what they are. They're part of the character. Right. It definitely seems that's going to be a, a balancing standpoint from AMG's perspective of just like making sure these primary units that have two sides of their stance cards are you want to have the uh, option to flip and not feel like, well, I'm always just going to stay on this side because it's just obviously better. Uh, one absolute. What about you? What do you think about the stance cards and the importance and how it feels for the characters? Uh, to me, those stance cards are what actually make like defines your character more than their actual uh, powers cards, because that's where you actually get the feel of the character. So, like, during that combat tree, you're doing, like, somebody, some people have, like, all these pushes, so they're deflecting people away, and you get to advance with those people whenever you're shoving them. So, you feel that, like, like, I think Anakin's tree, if I remember, has a lot of pushes, so I'm thinking, like, it puts Revenge of the Sith in my mind, where him and Obi-Wan are fighting on Mustafar, going down that corridor, basically he's pushing Obi-Wan back, and so, and that just brings out that flavor of that character to me. And like Ahsoka or Visage has all the jumping and and whatnot in their like expertise or combat trees as well. So I think that's where we're really gonna see your character shine and make them feel like that character. Yes. One thing I would really like to know, and I don't know, maybe you know, Matt. I don't know, but the so I know when you do like the recover action, then you can like heal or remove a special condition from yourself or somebody within range two of you. I really want to know because there's healing in all other areas. And I really want to know if, you know, both in superpowers and in these stances, that if you get a heal on your stance, what, how, is that the same as a recover action? Because they both, how they spoke about it, they both use like the same terminology of heal and that heal does this. And it'd be really bonkers if, like if you get a heal and then you can just basically remove status conditions or heal people willy nilly off of your stance cards, like you do an attack and then your attack warrants you three heals and then you're able to just remove all the conditions off of your squad mates. Like that seems really powerful, but I don't know if getting heals from other sources or is different than heals from the cover action. Uh, uh, my demo instructor didn't specify that, so I guess we'll have to wait till the actuals come out to see if we can do it that way. Um, because she she was more focused on getting us like, hey, we can do this on the combat tree. You get to do all the successes. You need to choose which path, starting from whichever orange block you start from. Um, and then like de- illustrating like, hey, when this is what happened, characters get wounded because of it. So luckily my Kalani rolled really bad from the Anakin attack. <laughs> um, but I, I, I think, like I said, that's, I think the stance cards are going to be the big, the standout thing of this game, in my opinion. Yeah, it definitely seems that way. Um, kind of harking back to the question about your, or the question you had, Matthew, for uh, Matt, the recover action, I hope is just like, Hey, 
when I do recover action, I can do an ally and like the stuff you get off of your like defensive expertise or offensive expertise, um, or even from your tree. Hopefully that is just limited to the character itself doing the attack. And you can't like, cause that seems, as you mentioned, really strong. If you're able to like also use those to like spread out to your teammates within range too, that is crazy. If so, but uh, yeah, who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the com- uh, the attack track system, how did that feel? Like the fluidity of using that chart when you're doing your attacks? Um, did that come across? Well, I know, we, as we mentioned previously, Guild Ball uses a similar mechanic, but instead you pick just one, unless if you do what they call a wrap, where you went all the way around and you come back around. This game does not have the wrap mechanic. However, you get everything down your tree and whatever path you go on um how did that come across uh one absolute we'll start with you uh it came across very well i mean like because you get to do everything in each box that you choose so like anakin got to do you know 10 damage he shoved me like three or four times and got to a point that he needed to get to because of it or pushed me off that point so i wasn't scoring it as well um so it felt really intuitive because like, you know, you have your designated starting spots. Some, some stances have more than one place you can choose to start from, but it's just really fluid. I like that you get to choose everything and you get crucial points in that tree. Like, Hey, I can either be more defensive along this route or I can do, you know, a lot more damage going down this way. Gotcha. And uh, Matthew, what about you? Yeah, I agree. I don't really have much more to add to what matt said it seemed great i i did, it wasn't confusing at all that's no, was what i'm looking for yeah that's 100 what i was looking for like more confusing and like the feel like did it feel good like if you were like getting high hits and you're just like just trucking down this track and you're like i get this i get this and this oh my gosh it, it does yeah. feel powerful let's say it, <laughs> it makes those outstanding rolls feel really great Awesome. That is good to hear. Uh, the dice are definitely reminiscent of a Legion uh, with like the D8s for attacking, D6s for defense. Um, how were the dice uh, for your your guys' games? Did it, that system seem fine? Did the pips that they have, like what was like the balancing of like each pip on the dice? Uh, Matthew, we'll start with you. Uh, what, do, what do you mean by the balancing of the pips on the dice? So, like, for instance, was it, like, three hits, one crit, like, um, for how many of each of the faces? Like, how did that come across? Did that seem okay? Yeah, I didn't feel... I, I like the fact that there's no blanks, so it feels like everything is doing something, even though there are failures. But it feels like, you know, sometimes you, you know, in past games, you get, like, a blank, and then you get a failure, and you're like, well, that's the same thing. Uh, so, at least, like, it feels like everything is much more streamlined in terms of what is happening uh so i didn't really feel like anything was particularly negative it would be interesting to know from attack tree point of view and i assumed the way we played it was that attacker stuff happens first and then defender stuff happens first but like you know some of the defender expertise track stuff kind of changes crits to hits so i'd be interested to see how that all plays out um in the rules when they get released but the dice themselves seem great. No, no complaints. A lot you get to roll a lot of them. That's good. What about you, uh, Absolute? Uh, they had a nice feel, like heft and whatnot. Um, I liked it 
there's no blanks, even though, like Matthew was saying, I mean, failure is a blank, but I mean, I like seeing that you get something because there's nothing more deflating than looking down like, oh, I get absolutely nothing on that. At least you have to actually like read the dice and interpret what you have. Uh, the balance, um, like pip wise, though, like it feels right. I mean, because critical shouldn't show up that often. There's only one of them on the uh, each of the attack dice. And then there's three hits, uh, two expertise, and two failures. And then there's two of each uh, pip on the defense dice. Um, but yeah, they, they felt good. Um, and then seeing all those results that just get you motivated. To, like, hey, I get, this is what I get to do in this combat tree now. All right. Um, cool. Go on to the next one. Uh, two actions is a very common ground that we've seen before in a lot of other games. Um, you are only allowed to do, as you mentioned earlier, um, one absolute of you. You can only do one action per activation, correct? So, like, I can only move once, attack once, and think that's that correct? Yeah. So in our demo, they they told us that you couldn't move, move. You couldn't like attack, attack. So you had to choose two separate actions for that unit that's activating. Right. So with that being said, we know they've added in a bunch of different basic actions of like recover, take cover, focus. Um, how did those feel um, if for whoever was able to use them or at least like kind of understanding the concept? How did the, those additional actions kind of like fill in that gap of just being able to do a particular action per activation? And uh, one absolute, we can go ahead and start with you on that one since we we were just discussing. So yeah, the hunker and focus uh, seem a lot better uh, in that aspect. Uh, so that way you're not just like, well, I guess I just stand here. So at least like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, at least like you could hunker down, like get a defense die or you know focus, uh, add in a ranged attack die or whatever. Um, it, fe- it feels a lot better than like, all right, just wasting your turn just standing around like trying to capture victory points. That's good. Yeah, I've definitely had games of MCP where I've had like, well, I just have this character. Guess I just stand here. Um, <laughs> and so that's that's good to know that at least you can like hunker and maybe like recover, like heal one and things like that. You have like other as albeit like smaller options. They are still options you can do. Um, Matthew, how about you? How do those come off to you? Yeah, I agree. I think just the, you know, there's definitely game times when you play MCP and you're just kind of like, well, I guess I will just do a little dance and stay where I am because that's what my character does. But here is, there's almost like no way that you don't have at least something to do. It feels some, there were a couple of times it was closed, but it felt like I, I do think that something to definitely take note of uh, is the take cover action. So a lot of times you're, you don't really have, you do your move. You don't really have anyone to attack. So you don't, there's no point to focus and you don't have any ability to use and you're already healed. So you don't need to recover. So the option is to take cover, but the take cover, as least how it's been described is that you get pushed and then you gain a hunker token, uh, which is great. But you also have to think about that a little bit with your positioning uh, because you're getting pushed. You are moving even if it's a, a little bit amount, it could affect your cover. It could affect your positioning in terms of getting pushed. It could affect your ability to uh, contest. So when you're doing something, if you're going to do like a move and then a take cover, where you end your movement is should take into account your cover. So that's that's definitely a finesse point. I think assuming that it, it is a you, 
you need to do the push and not a may. Uh, I think that's something that it definitely is something that people need to think about when they're plotting out their activations. That's actually a really good point. Um, I do. I'm a big fan of just having like finesse things like that in these kind of games. So uh, it creates like this nice, nice little mini game of like figuring out of like exactly where I'm going to end. All, like once I'm doing all of these things. So um, harking from that, the hunker uh, tokens that you get from the take cover action, uh, they seem very strong, especially when he noted you can stack them apparently, and they don't come off until, like, that character's neck activation. Um, they just stay on them the entire time. How did that mechanic come off to both of you? Uh, Matthew, we'll start with you. Uh, well, it's, from what I understand, it's when your next activation, or if you are, are engaged. So if you become engaged, you lose your hunker token as well. So now, it's okay. I actually don't think it's that powerful. I mean, it's good. It's good to have, but it's just dice in the end. It's just adding one defense die, and the defense die are not great. They're not awful, uh, but you know, just like any war gaming game that I've played, adding having anything that banks on defense dice is rarely a great investment. But if I could do pretty much anything else, I probably would do anything else. But uh, it's a nice to have. <laughs> <laughs> that makes okay. sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, the fact that if it come, they come off also whenever you become engaged, that is a huge factor as well. Engaged uh, one is if somebody's in range two of you. Yes, absolutely. Um, one absolute. What about you? How did that ability come off to you? Uh, I like it, uh, but they do come off if you do get engaged. Uh, that was one of the things I did ask in the demo. Uh, because that way, if you get range two, because it's meant to be like you're taking cover for range attack. So if somebody's standing right beside you with a lightsaber, you're not usually going to be able to avoid that <laughs> with these. Um, yeah. We could definitely see like a uh, a meta down the line or like, um, if you will, of just like somebody brings a strike force that's just like pure shooting. And they're just trying to blast you off the table. Then I can see that mechanic becoming very strong against that. But yeah, if they have a bunch of just like lightsaber duelists just like running running down the pipe at you. Yeah, definitely doesn't seem super great. I mean, it's that's nice... one thing. Sorry, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, one thing I did notice in the seeing all the cards up close, all the cards I saw that did have range attacks, all of them were range five as well. Oh wow! Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of range in this. The the mandos were range four, and basically like everybody else is range five so okay. far. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. Well. But I, um, I, it is nice. It's nice because, I mean, a focus is better because adding an attack die is much better than adding a defense die. But at the same time, the focus doesn't linger and the hunker token does. So it's a nice balance. Good, good. Um, the Speaking of, since we're on abilities, kind of harking back to some of the abilities from the stance cards. So outside of the damage, the um, like reposition and push abilities... Um, which one of those were kind of like a standout ability from those stance cards? Uh, Matthew, we'll start with you. Well, that's a tough one. Tough one. Uh, I think that for me, the biggest standout was probably things like the pushes and the pins and the jumps. Uh, you know, I, mostly I saw that from Ahsoka and from Bo-Katan. Uh, and that was just her being able to just manipulate where they're on and putting these like the pin is so brutal i had like one attack 
with uh well this isn't pin but i had one attack with um with bo katan and i went with a double push and i basically it's like one like kalani came out and had and like basically like coordinated one of the the, the b1s to move forward and then bo katan like moved up and just shot it and then just got four successes and was able to jump and then do a double push and just push the droid back farther into the deployment zone than it never was. And that droid was just didn't do anything for the next activation. It's brutally powerful. Oh, wow. Yeah. And just so for like the audience, like pin is like you, they cannot escape out of engagement range. Is that correct? Uh, pin is, let me pull it up. Pin is, from what I understand, it prevents your next action, move action. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, that is insanely powerful. That, that also was very powerful in trying to just make, like, just neuter somebody's effectiveness to the scenario. It's really great for the Republic, who seem to be very, very scenario-focused. Okay. Um, and Matt, or one absolute, sorry, uh, what about you? Uh, yeah, those uh, actions that you know, hinder your, your opponent's abilities to make actions during their turn. Cause they have to use those actions to get rid of them. They don't, it's like the stagger and MCP. Um, so if they still have that token, they have to do that action to get rid of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I that's... do like that's really, uh, really affects your turn highly, <laughs> but I also did like the bleed mechanic. Cause it's just a straight three damage to them at the start of their next activation. The strain. Yeah. Well, oh, you gotta, yeah, the strain. Oh, yeah. That, 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 that is the that is like the soft stagger, right? Because you could recover it, but um, but like, you know, but you could choose not to recover it if you just want to take a lot of damage. <laughs> exposed is also insane, too. I mean, I got a lot of exposed put on me because the, the droids expose people really well. So that just shuts down your expertise track, which shuts down so much of your defensive tech. You're just rolling, you know, naked dice at that point it's really rough yeah it seems like it's that the uh, stance track has a lot of very powerful abilities like um and just more so outside of just like the stuff you can do from like take cover and focus um from your actions um yeah i can't wait to see what else they implement it's like they might that might not even be everything that they have just that's what we're getting out of the core set they could definitely introduce more down the road too so moving on from that, um, I guess that's kind of a good wrap up of all of the core mechanic questions and whatnot I've had for the both of you. How, what are your overall impressions from your demo, One Absolute, and Matthew, like your uh, Machimo that you created as well? And what are you guys excited for, to like look forward to mechanically within the game? Um, Matthew, we'll start with you. Uh, absolutely nothing. I've already solved the game, so I don't have no no reason to play this game anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's fun. I mean, I like this. I'm more excited just to see how it all plays out as things just as more. I think as as more models come out, I think like the core set will present a pretty good, uh, fun start. But just like all core mo- core sets, it kind of like presents a basic version of the game, and I want to see how how they expand on it and how we can combine different characters. Like I played Anakin and Ahsoka and I was like, this is fine, but this isn't really my style. I really want to try Anakin, uh, Ahsoka and Asajj, but maybe Obi-Wan comes out and then I'll get excited about Obi-Wan. So, you know, I'm very, I'm very excited to see. And they got a lot of models coming out over, over, over again. Like there were like any game that's launching, they need to, 
push a bunch of content out quickly. So I'm very excited to see how the game ex- uh, explores those different combinations. Yeah, and one absolute. What about you? Uh, that short demo just made me want to start playing it sooner and even more. Um, it's probably going to overtake MCP as my main game definitely now after playing that. Just because I like all the decision points. I like the combat. Oh no, don't um, let Josh hear you say that. No, he'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> um, it's less of my grunts he has to worry about, right? He doesn't have to worry about Mystique <laughs> and Juggernaut anymore. Or, or, or my Nick Fury, because he always hates that model. You're welcome, Josh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just the, the way the characters feel, the the expansions they've got coming out, and what they the potential they have with this game, is it's very exciting, and I just can't wait to start jamming games on it absolutely yeah it it looks very exciting um it just has me kind of like waiting with bated breath if you will like i cannot wait to put my hands on this game um and just jam it looks very intriguing i love how intuitive a lot of the stuff seems um and i can't necessarily say i'm in the same boat as you when absolute on if it'll take over my love for like mcp but if it does not become my number one game, it'll probably end up being my number two for sure. Um, all right. The one last question I have for you guys before we kind of move on to like listeners questions, whatnot. Um, they, as you mentioned, Matthew, they did a huge amount of reveals um, hyping up the game. Um, is it, was there anyone they announced that you guys are excited for? And was there anyone they did not announce that you hope they do down the road? Uh, one absolute. We'll start with you. I think the box that they showed them uh, during the previews or whatever that I want to play with the most is the Cad Bang or Sing Box and their their bounty hunter little posse. That one looks like a lot of fun. The minis look great. Um, and then beyond that, um, I, I I just want to see more bounty hunters because that that was always some of my favorite characters from the OG trilogy and everything. Oh, sorry. They did preview Din Djarin. So yeah, Din is the one I want to play with the most. There we go. Yeah. Apparently he was, he was the very first model they sculpted. If I remember correctly, just like, yeah, that's what they said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, what about you? Yep. Dub. Yep. Dub. 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 Yeah. Maybe Ewoks. Let's, let's go. <laughs> yeah, my, one of my local buddies has already called that he's playing the Ewoks when they come out. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> one step uh, closer to Kenny's Gungans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, a lot of these models really excite me. I think that uh, I, I'm excited about the Ewoks. I'm excited about the Rebels characters. I'm a, I'm a Rebel player by heart. Uh, I'll, I'll stand the Galactic Republic until the rest of the stuff comes out. Uh, the I suppose the biggest disappointment I, I I wish that they they start off with the turn of the Jedi Rebels characters which I thought was like a weird choice to go off of I really wish they kind of brought in some of like the more like you know a New Hope Empire realm characters instead of giving our first like Lando is the Lando from Return of the Jedi was playing a guard in the background and r2d2 is like the server r2d2 so i kind of wish that we could get some of those but hopefully that's not too too far behind that's my right yeah yeah i can see that for sure um i guess i can go ahead and jump in on this one a little bit um they showed my boy flo coon i'm insanely hyped about that i'm 
I can't wait to rock like a Plo Koon Vader Strike Force. That just sounds like a total blast. Um, one I'm kind of thought about, not necessarily I'm like hyped for, but like maybe like mechanic wise, it would be really cool to see like a Jabba the Hutt release with like just some guards and whatnot, like maybe like Bib Fortuna and stuff with him. And maybe he has like mechanics of just like he himself kind of sucks, but like he buffs the crap out of whoever he brings um i think something like that would be really really cool five force five force job of the hut there we go he's just buying it off the black market just (laughs) just getting all that spice (laughs) all that spice right um but yeah they also mentioned too uh that they were holding back some reveals for may the 4th as well so we definitely still have another uh date to look forward to uh shortly down the road for even more reveals i think it might be some more product that'll be coming sooner rather than later um from what they were kind of like in the timeline of what they were showing uh, at the panel yeah but, i think they only have like i know it seems like a lot but i feel like they only have something like six or six to eight months worth of content that they revealed uh and i feel like they need to you know, they probably already have a year's worth of content ready to go. I mean, obviously they have like two years of development content to go, but like, you know, they, this is, this is just the tip of the iceberg because they're going to probably go full out with those two to three boxes a month. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I think we probably won't see any actual like Civil War releases. I would uh, the soonest I can even imagine would be like six months in, but I would guess it'd probably be closer to like the nine nine months to even closer to the year mark before we actually start getting Civil War drops. I, th- I but, think nine months makes sense. They did say something along the lines that it's sooner than we expect, so it's definitely going to be earlier than a year, which is what we all expected. Exactly. Yeah, I've, a lot of people expected like a year plus before we even saw Civil War. So that's really exciting to see that we're getting some of that stuff. Um, all right. So moving forward with that, um, we're going to go on to some listener questions. We have a couple here. But before we do that, here is a note for about our sponsors. Looking to fulfill all of your plastic desires? Well, look no further than our sponsors. There's GameChefs.org where you can save an additional 15% off at their already discounted prices using the promo code GAMERSGUILD. That's capital G in GAMERS and then lowercase guild. And then you can use our codes with Tritex Gamings, our partners over in the EU. Um, go to their website, um, tritexgames.co.uk, um, and use the code TritexGGCP5. That's all capital letters, Tritex GGC P5. Additionally, uh, you can support the guild through supporting us on Patreon. And additionally, if you just want to come and talk to us, come find us on Discord. The link will be in the show notes below. All right, we're back. Um, so first here uh, with our patron party channel, uh, we have Will with House Party Protocol. He uh, he asks, why does Kalani slap? So one absolute, <laughs> we'll start with you. Uh, you you said you had some issues with Kalani in your game. Was that correct? And he got uh, they got melted. What happened? Well, 
Well, you have to remember my game was also more scripted. So yes, <laughs> yeah, they, for they sure. did fudge some dice, but my dice rolling abilities didn't. They didn't need to fudge any of the Anakin dice or my dice for that one. Um, uh, Kalani seems good. I mean, let me go back and look at his card real quick just to re- refresh my memory. Um, I mean, you definitely don't want to send him up close. He's definitely it's thematic, and he wants to just slap his battle droids in front of him to, to get them to die. So, I mean, I, I like him overall myself. Gotcha. And uh, Matthew, did you have any experience with Kalani in your game? Yeah. Uh, he slaps because droids roll a lot of dice and they have a lot of health. So that's they, they that's why. I mean, he has the ability to add dice to droids that already have a lot of dice. And they droids also have a really easy ability to expose or strain people as long as you know they're you know descending upon the same target so having kalani adding more dice and droids exposing and then they all work together in such a very harmonious factor that they can network a network calculated factor if you might say so that he slaps because he allows the droids to throw so much dice at people right that makes complete sense yeah i've been hearing just from the community that's like watched and other people have played that they were saying that kalani does just seem out of the box just really good with that synergistic um, abilities that he has with the other droids um just just, very... just to give context mm-hmm. kalani allows people allows his droids to roll eight die range five attacks yeah, it's pretty strong. Nine <laughs> dice if they're focused. Like, so it's nine dice, range five attacks. If you do it at range four, then you can have one droid throw a nine dice, range four attack, then expose that character, and then have the other droid roll a uh, eight dice, range four attack that your defense, your defender does not have the ability to uh, use their defense expertise. That is incredibly strong for B for any activation in terms of attrition. Yeah, uh, Kalani is worth like the five points, right? So it definitely sounds like Kalani will be uh, bringing that weight in gold, <laughs> if you will. Well, he does with... have that gold inlay, so <laughs> that's right. Sure does. That's true. I mean, he also gives repositioning. He gives the ability, you know, right at the beginning, uh, to have his droids move so that he can set up those range four super kills. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, definitely sounds like Kalani is going to be a strong piece coming out of that core box. So moving on, uh, we have a second question from Will uh, of will slash should Cad Bane be the best model in the game with the caveat of saying yes, the answer is yes. No, Uh, (laughs) no. I mean, I think he'll be one of the least best or my favorites once he's out. Go (laughs) home, Will, you're drunk. Uh, until other bounty hunters come out, but yeah, he his model looks great. We don't know anything about him besides that. Gotcha, gotcha. So, and then moving on to the actual like uh, podcast questions for our other audience um, within our Discord that you guys can always join. Um, Brad A asks, um, I didn't in the demo see like how the tables were. It seems that there are only terrain with elevation in the middle of the table. Did they mention anything about setups and how they would be? Uh, one absolute obvious, I think would be more of a question for you since you were there. Uh, 
they didn't really mention they did have one table that had like this big giant like terrain slash uh wall on one side of the map um but they didn't specifically mention like hey like this is how terrain should be set up or anything like that okay gotcha and we have one final question here from silent monk of what are your overall impressions of the game which we did kind of already go over that, but we can always kind of give a second look. Um, he states the interaction of force and abilities is interesting, but I have worries about losing momentum in the force economy over time. It's still early, but if, or, but from your DevCon experience, do you think the system they have built around is good or will it overly be difficult to come back from a hard attrition open? Uh, one absolute, we'll start with you. Um, I don't think it'll be, I mean, this is going from very limited gameplay, but I don't think it'll be that hard to come back from a hard attrition open. Cause I mean, the first round you're going to be, you're going to be doing a lot of moving, um, trying to get to points to secure and try to secure your own points. Um, but like your characters have quite a bit of health. You can recover during your, your actions. You can have other people recover you. So I, I don't think attrition is going to be that strong in my opinion gotcha and i know uh, matthew you mentioned kind of mentioned like a little bit about that previously um I, here's your floor to kind of open up more on that uh yeah well just quickly on the force economy i, I don't think that's also a problem because uh, that kind of power economy situation is is pretty common with all kinds of games where you're just you see how much economy do you want to put pressure on their economy? Do you want everything as a resource? And that's, that's a mini game that plays out. So I think that's important in your decision-making, seeing what your opponent can do or what can you force your opponent to do to get advantages. But for attrition, I kind of agree with Matt, I, at, at least at this stage in the game with, with us only knowing core box characters, uh, attrition does just does not seem like it has the strength it does in other games i i think it's not impossible but it's pretty impossible to to remove a primary character from the board maybe maul because he's kind of a glass cannon but in my demo game you know i only i only was able to wound the b1s and i removed them from the game but i didn't wound anybody else on their side and they only wounded three people on my team and my opponent went for a pretty attrition-oriented open. It's just really hard to get through that damage to them because you wound them and then you have to wait for them to activate again so that they remove their their tokens. And then you got to wound them again. Uh, and, and that's if they only have two stamina. And then they still sit on the board until they activate again. And then they get an activation before they're removed. So there is a, it's very, so at the minimum, the characters are getting three activations in these games. And that's, that's considerable when you play this game out. So I think attrition is valuable in the turn, in the idea of trying to minimize activations, if, as it were, but uh, I, I think conditions are far more important in the, in the gameplay in terms of limiting your opponent than trying to remove models. Right. Um, I guess just from someone that has, you know, wasn't at a DevCon to do the demo, just like kind of seeing everything. But 
putting some of the pieces together in my head, um, I think that um, the going attrition base to gain momentum on your opponent from wounding and also even removing pieces, we also have to keep in mind that if you remove a unit, that means you're removing that card from the activation stack, meaning you're going to be reshuffling your deck back together more often. And every time that happens, your force points restock. Um, and from previous rulings, I think we've gone over um, the, the the amount. Like if a primary dies, you still get their amount of force points added to your pool. Like that doesn't matter. So that you're actually making it to where, yes, even though you're wounded, your force abilities are more expensive because they're being taxed. However, like if you start wiping units, you're reshuffling your deck more often. Therefore, you're going to be getting force points back sooner than your opponent if they're just kind of wiping the floor with you. So something to consider as well. Yeah, it's just like to give the example of the one, you know, small sample size, of course, but the one game I played, I went up there, I moved my characters to cap points, but not score in the first round. And then my opponent went up and just started like setting up for attrition. And then I essentially spent the second, my second activation scoring four points and it, so it was four to one i mean you know the it's a struggle tracker thing but in terms of vp game i gained four points in those first two activations he gained one and he had to like try and come back from that and he was you know trying to shoot at my characters he knocked he knocked out my clone troopers very easily but then he tried to shoot my mandos and then i healed and recovered my mandos it was just like they I was just holding on to these scenario points and he wasn't, he was flipping them back, but then I would re return. I would activate and flip them back on my own. I'd push them off and flip. Like it was him not having that scenario advantage made it so that he just wasn't winning and that first struggle. And I guess the strategy at that point would be to try and wound as many characters as you can in that first struggle so that you can try and, remove characters but even still on that second struggle you aren't removing the model from the board you are wounding them again and then they get to activate and do something and score points and then they're removed from the model from the, from the board so you really need to win that second struggle and i don't know if you are I, I, again we'll see what happens with future models but right now i just i don't see it as a sole strategy to just go up there guns blazing Indeed, I can definitely agree with that from what both of you have stated. All right. Well, with that being said, I think we are at the end of this episode. I want to thank both of you, one absolute, especially for your time that you did and footwork at Adepticon. Really appreciate that. And Matthew for kind of putting together your uh, Mokdemo as well and uh, getting to play that way too. Um, your guys' knowledge was definitely good, even though, as you was stated, small sample size. But uh, at least it gives us an idea of what we have to look forward to. Um, anything else you guys want to add before um, we are done here? Uh, the minis look great, and I can't wait to start painting them. I mean, seeing them in person was even better than all the pictures they've shown. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see your paint nice. jobs on these minis. How about you, Matthew? Looking forward to playing the game. I was, I was on the fence because uh, I'm always on the fence on everything until I see more, but now I'm going to go improve over this game. Absolutely. And same here. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening, and always remember to keep on gaming.